I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Bejan. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. In pop culture, there are times where a genre of movie spawns so many tropes, cliches, and archetypes that it gets its own parody. Some were well done, and some were well done. Uh, the 80s and 90s saw a slew of horror movies and teen movies that would help define the genres. And the late 90s and 2000s would result in many raunchy parodies of these movies that would not likely not get made in 2020. But then again, the movies that they sometimes parodied wouldn't also get made in 2020. I don't know. What do you think? I feel like wasn't there that terrible Fairly Brothers movie before one of them won an Oscar, unfortunately, for the rest of us? That was sort of like a pastiche parody where it was just like gross out misogynistic humor, but it still got made. I feel like there's still a market for it, especially when, I mean, I think about like most recently, the Waynes brothers put out Fifty Shades Blacker, which was like a parody of all of like the sexy movies that came out. And so obviously there's still some audience for it, just maybe not the same audience or as many people. I mean, I have to believe that if Joe Rogan can have a fucking career, the Waynes brothers can make their parody movies. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. I think you could, I mean, because they keep rebooting Scream, whether it's as a TV show or they're adding on a Scream 5 and same with, I know what you did last summer. Now that's going to be a TV show for Amazon. I just saw so, that. Yeah. so yes, technically, I think that these spoof movies 
I mean, they would exist regardless because these movies with these tropes are also going to exist. They just won't have the same writing, possibly, or the same delivery or the same setups. But the tropes of characters are still the same. And the tropes of scenes that come along with parodying horror. I mean, there's only so many tropes that you can pull from before it's like, then it's just art house. And then you're just doing like a parody of Midsommar, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I also noticed when I was, like, revisiting these parodies was on top of them, like, being fairly one-dimensional with the parodies because, you know, they're parodying archetypes that are one-dimensional. There's also that level of – I remember this specifically around the scary movies and some of the other parody movies that came out around the time that they're very, like, references of that time. Like, there was a – like, a Michael Jackson blanket reference or, like, a Tom Cruise Scientology reference. Like, they're things that that were funny when they came out, but, like, you know, two years later meant almost nothing and were a forgotten thing. Yeah, I think parody movies definitely live in a different genre of movie because they have to be so topical and they only apply for like two or three years. And then they're immediately like vintage and an archive of exactly that time. I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit when I talk about scary movie, but that Budweiser was up parody. I mean, that only kind of makes sense if you you'll only understand that joke if you were alive in that time and you had seen (laughs) scary movie, you know, to understand both of those references. Right. You'd have to yeah. like look it up and then explain why that's important or funny and why it makes this joke funny. So I think part of the issue with having these spoof and parody movies that are so broad and not necessarily like if you go the other way with like Christopher Guest movies, because I do believe I don't know about not another teen movie. And I'm sure you will tell me. But at least in the first scary movie, there was quite a bit of improv like they would do. They do one take where they would just do the scene as it's written and then they do a take where they basically would just improv the whole thing and then the movie was a combination of the two. Yeah, no, I was just going to say and in the case of Not Another Teen Movie, it's a little less improv and I think part of that is because okay. it's not Wayne's Brothers, it's Wayne's Brothers adjacent and it's a lot of newbies that were cast who are now in many cases very famous actors, but for many of them these were among like their first credits and it was just kind of like, you know, there may have been some improv here and there but ultimately it was kind of stick to the the script. This is what's written. This is what you're going to say. I feel like it's almost, well, I guess Austin Powers is also like a parody. So the, whenever you watch that too, there are like these commercials within it that also, you know, unless you go back and like look up the commercial, make no fucking sense either way. At least yeah. some of Scary Movie bases some of it on, they take, they lift actual scenes from movies that you would remember. So some of that is good but when you have to like explain the joke to somebody it makes the movie like less funny right yeah i find that those are definitely much more swatches of a bunch of different movies so if you have seen one of the movies or two of the movies by the time you see the parody you'll get it whereas like austin powers is pretty much a direct ripoff of casino royale which i finally watched for the first time this week like the 1960s parody movie but like it's you know see almost like not seen but for seen but like quite a bit of it is a direct parody of casino royale so if you haven't seen that movie you'll laugh at austin powers but you're not going to get all the references But that's how a good parody sort of survives on its own because it is its own story, even if it does do like a shot for shot spoof remake for a lack of a better phrase. And I think maybe, I don't know, I never got into not another teen movie. Scary movie one was like pretty much my threshold. I am not a huge fan of like 
spoofy, broad humor. We Before we started recording, we were talking about whether or not we want to subject ourselves to Hubie Halloween, like how far down the rabbit hole do we want to go? I mean, the but Sandler versus Vast. I don't know just how deep I can go, though. I feel I felt honestly somewhat obligated to watch some Sandler Netflix movies after I, you know, cape so hard for him in the rom-com episode. And I watched Murder Mystery, which wasn't bad. And then I watched Wrong Missy, which I guess he wasn't in it, but he produced it for Netflix, which also wasn't terrible. The thing is, I couldn't really tell you like a whole bunch about it because I sort of background watched the whole thing. But every time I looked up to watch the joke, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I'd go back to doing whatever it was that I was doing. So there's sort of like this harmless quality to spoof movies that I understand their appeal as, you know, you'll only be engaged watching them when they first come out. And then after that, you just watch them in the background. Or if you're like me, you just always kind of background watch. But I, you know, don't love Airplane. I uh, I don't find that kind of shit to be very funny. I kind of find it to be like, you know, I understand it's actually quite hard to write like a spoof parody, but I also find it to be like the lowest hanging fruit kind of humor to make it so, so topical. Although, I've tried to watch or tried to write so so topical humor and it's quite difficult. So I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, but it's not my go-to. And I think rewatching any of these would just be out of a sense of nostalgia, not because I actually like them, I think. Yeah, no, same. I saw a scary movie. I saw not another teen movie, and I was like in middle school, maybe early high school. And then, you know, after that. I remember seeing another one of those parody movies. I think it was like date movie, and it was just like so gross out humor at that point. I think I was like 19 or 20 when it came out that I, yeah, just remember thinking like, none of this is funny. I I don't think I'll ever need to see one of these movies again. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I thought about rewatching Scary Movie because I think it is on Netflix for the purposes of this podcast. But even just, you know, what you see is what you get. Like I, in rereading the plot, I was like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember all of this. It's like, if you were, if you read over the plot, you, you kind of, you got it. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) And I feel bad because I do love the Waynes Brothers and I love In Living Color and I like the Waynes Brothers show. But um, and I think that it's great that this launched their career and it was extremely successful for them. But as time has gone on, you know, I just feel like there's kind of a different kind of broad comedy that you can achieve that's not spoof related. And maybe that's more popular, but. I mean, if we're going to watch Hubie Halloween, obviously anybody will watch anything at this point. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. That's where we've we've come as a country and a world. Ugh. And just us personally. Yeah, know. that is true. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Oh, boy. Sure. I don't have a ton. I mean, I thought there's only one actor that I'm going to kind of maybe do a little sidebar on only because I found his career to be quite interesting. But In a moment of our imitating life, there really just isn't much to report when it comes to scary movie. Like a lot of broad comedy is exactly as it presents itself to be. But there is some interesting little tidbits here and there. So let's get into it. Scary Movie came out July 7th of 2000, and despite mixed to negative reviews, although it does hold a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is the highest rated of the Scary Movie franchise, and I think, you know, they've got like five at this point, Mm. maybe six, Mm -hmm. it made... $278 million worldwide on a $19 million budget, which explains why they had three follow-ups. 
which I mean, that is like, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I was just blown away by how much money, because sometimes that broad and super pop culture based uh, kind of movie doesn't really do well abroad, but apparently it did just fine. So like the Skipper movies, like, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode. Like it's, it's these movies that they do fairly well in the, in the U.S., but for whatever reason around the world, huge, huge hits. So as a little refresher, Scary Movie follows Cindy, Anna Ferris, Bobby, John Abrams, Brenda, Queen Regina Hall, Buffy, Shannon Elizabeth, and Ray, Sean Waynes, a group of high school students who accidentally kill somebody, aka the plot of I Know What You Did Last Summer. They're haunted by what they did, as well as a mass singer, because my brain is broken. Oh my God. Yeah, I can't even I can't even tell you. I was about to like go off on a side tangent about Mark Sanchez being the baby alien with a puppet, but then I decided to hold myself back. They're haunted by what they did, as well as a masked killer played by Dave Sheridan, who is the actor I want to sidebar about, who looks like Ghostface from Scream. He emerges out of nowhere to murder them all. Meanwhile, their friend Shorty, Marlon Waynes, is too high to know that he's ever in danger. Although the Waynes brothers will get muscled out of their own franchise by the third film, let's back it up a little bit and we can talk about how this all came together. So Marlon and Sean Waynes, along with two writers from the Waynes Brothers, pitched the idea to Keenan at some point in the 90s when teen slashers were at their zenith, like Scream, and I know it did last summers, and they were like about to have their second, you know, sequels come out. Together, they took the idea to Dimension, i.e. Bob and Harvey Weinstein, who had produced the immensely successful Scream and impending Scream 2 at that point. So they wanted to buy it because they had the sort of Lou Pearlman approach of business, which is if anyone's going to cannibalize our property, it's going to be us. So the script for this movie was actually a combination of two scripts that Dimension bought in tandem. In 1998, they bought Last summer, I screamed because Halloween fell on Friday the 13th, which was the Waynes Brothers script, with Phil Bowman, who was one of the Waynes Brothers writers, and I believe also worked on Not Another Teen Movie. He did. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. So just a little, you know, put a little pin in that. And then they also bought Scream, If You Know What I Did Last Halloween by Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer, which like the latter two are credited as two of the six writers of Scary Movie who would go on to make date movie and epic movie. But to be clear, Friedberg and Seltzer, who have amazing like attorneys at law last name potential here, uh, they didn't really contribute a whole lot to the Scary Movie script. But because of WGA rules, they all had to be credited together. So when the Wayans brothers started working on the script, they ended up writing up to 10 drafts and kept tweaking it during filming, in addition to Keenan encouraging actors to take to do improv takes. But what's the most interesting part of any movie is always the casting. The Wayans had a really hard time casting the lead roles of Cindy and Bobby. Alicia Silverstone was offered the role of Cindy, but turned it down, which is not surprising. No. And then Jared Leto was offered Bobby during the early stages, but he declined in favor of doing Requiem for a Dream, which also had Marlon Wayans in it. (laughs) Very different (laughs) films. The role of Brenda was originally offered to Aaliyah and then Little Kim, who they both obviously said no. Jenny McCarthy and Britney Spears were offered the role of Drew Decker and Melissa Joan Hart auditioned, which I was like, wait, what? (laughs) But this is like, yeah, 
This is around the time she's doing I, I don't, can't, can't Hardly Wait, though. So she's, like, looking for funny roles. I think she was at that point, like, fuck Sabrina, fuck Clarissa Explains It All. I want to do something fun. I would love to see that audition tape. If you have it, please DM it to me. Okay. McCarthy would later go on to be in Scary Movie 3 as Katie, but I didn't see that one. Scary movies. So at this point, this is when they decide that they got to pivot and kind of cast some more unknown actors in these roles because they aren't getting the returns that they want. So Scary Movie, Cindy is famously on Ferris's first role ever. She had no agent, no manager, her mom, and then her neighbor, who she went and asked to film the more raunchy uh, take because she didn't want to do it in front of her mom. Shot her audition tape in Edmonds, Washington. When she got cast, she was crass- she was crashing on a friend's couch in Burbank, and she was so green, she often asked her co-star, John Abrams, Bobby, what they were supposed to do when Keenan yelled action, which I thought was very <laughs> funny. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, you read your lines. <laughs> in an early draft, the killer was actually supposed to be Damon Wayans, and he was going to be pissed that his brothers were going to leave him out of this movie, but due to scheduling conflicts, it had to be rewritten. The irony. But Dave Sheridan who would go on to basically do production a favor by quote unquote demanding to play Doofy and the killer. I mean, they were, they turned around, they're like, Oh, you want to save us money? Like for sure. Yeah. Go ahead and play more people if you want to. But Sheridan and his audition initially for Doofy freaked everyone out because he stayed in character the entire time. And they called him to come back because they weren't sure if he was actually acting or if he was you know that was how he was <laughs> so they I like called this him is back. the movie that he tra- he goes method for like it's not not some christian bale epic here it's um, a wayne's brother parody okay. so dave sheridan is actually quite the character because i had to look him up so this is my little dave sheridan sidebar just because he was the one i knew the least about John Abrams has been in like a couple of other spoof movies here and there that i've seen him in and then he was also like he was like the brother on a show that I that is obviously escaping me now. But anyway, I've seen him around. But Dave Sheridan was the most interesting. I was curious if he was still acting. And it seems like he's still talking to and has like a working relationship with the Waynes because he was in Fifty Shades of Black and another one of their movies in here. Oh, Little Man. Can't forget Little Man. Anyway, so I'm just going to straight up read his Wikipedia just because I was like, huh, oh, okay, all right. He's also in one of my favorite movies <laughs> um, as the the dude who does karate uh, and has a mullet in Ghost World, Doug. Oh, so, yeah. So anyway, which I didn't know. I didn't know that was the same guy. He began his career as an intern at SNL. And then from there, he joined a troupe in Second City. And then he had a show that was called a multimedia stage show called Dave Sheridan's Sheridan's America. Then he had a show on MTV called Buzzkill that was a reality show about three slackers who play pranks on each other. So like proto jackass. Then he was in Scary Movie. Then he was in Ghost World. Then he was in a music video for Red Hot Chili Peppers. By the way, he played the crazy taxi driver. And he was also in Universally Speaking. And then he, like, tours with a band that he formed out of nowhere called Van Stone in 2004, which sounds familiar, but then I couldn't find much on it. And then I, you know, I quickly abandoned it. And then uh, he, (laughs) obviously, and then he hosted, okay, this is, like, where I'm like, ooh, eyebrow raise. Then he hosted a series called Smile, You're Under Arrest, which, like, that's, I would not be happy about that, for Fox Reality Channel. Of course, two thousand was behind it. Can you, like, Right, I was like, 
the whole thing, I was like, wow, this is how like a, this is one of those, um, you know, baby shoes never worn kind of things where it's like, what an evocative sentence that paints a complete picture. <laughs> in 2014, he played Sheriff Lincoln in a parody film called The Walking Deceased, which I assume is zombie based. Oh, it says inspired by The Walking Dead. If I just read, <laughs> if I just read three more words. <laughs> yes okay and then two more interesting bits he was in a movie that is dubbed a quote san francisco thriller called white space and then he started of course because he's a white guy started hosting a podcast called the dave and creech show with with actor podcaster cj creech i just i don't know that name made me giggle so yeah I, uh, he's still sort of acting, you know, his last credit is 2018, but I was just very curious, like what, what is the trajectory of like a working actor's role in like a cult classic spoof movie? And I felt like that was kind of like a quintessential resume, like really answered that question for me. But uh, he I knows am how going to reinvent to... himself. Oh, oh, I was saying he, he sure knows how to reinvent himself. I mean, you know, <laughs> from hosting a show called smile you're under arrest to being a sheriff in a zombie spoof you know i feel like yeah kind of like that's like a pivot you know and he's just constantly pivoting it was just very interesting to me <laughs> but i thought i'd share one of my favorite Anna Ferris stories that she told in a new york times interview where she talks about her career but she is very you know she has a lot of self-awareness and perspective on herself. And she was talking about how after scary movie came out and she realized that, like it did well and that was a good thing. And that she was like, kind of like recognizable and like getting like her first tastes of fame. She went back to her hometown. And even though she was underage, cause she was 19 or so at the time when scary movie came out and um, she tried to sneak into the <laughs> tried to sneak into the local bar. And when the bouncer, you know, kind of called her on her fake ID, she pulled it like, don't you know who I am? And he said no. And then he threatened to call the cops on her. And so I thought that was a very fun, humbling story to share. That's, you know, side adjacent to scary movie. But to wrap up a little bit more scary movie won its opening weekend with a $42 million box office, a then record for an R-rated movie, and even surpassed both Scream films. For whatever reason, the infamous what's up scene was shot and added at the last minute while they were testing the movie, and apparently people went instantly apeshit for it. And that's when all of the execs stopped worrying and micromanaging about how well this movie was going to do and just realized that they had a hit on their hands. The tagline for the first Scary Movies poster was, no shame, no mercy, no sequel. But that... Unfortunately, was not true because this was such a box office snatch. When they came back with Scary Movie 2, they had to tweak the tagline that said, no shame, no mercy, cross out no sequel, and added, we lied. <laughs> so the end of the Wayans Scary Movies, which would just go on to be Scary Movie 1 and 2, they were making the rounds, like I was saying earlier, to celebrate Scary Movie's 20th anniversary earlier this summer. and. The Waynes Brothers had um, less than alluded to the experience of working with both Weinstein brothers as, quote, not, not the best or the kindest people to be in business with. They're very much an evil regime. They, which I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, they do what they want to do, how they want to do it, and they can be rude and quite disrespectful. 
And I don't think they feel this way because they were fired from Scary Movie franchise um, and found out on Christmas in the trades. I don't think that's why they're saying it. I think they alluded to, I mean, this is like explicitly saying that in general, this is like a bad working experience for them, regardless of how they found out how they got fired, which is also extremely fucked up. Marlon says, we read on Christmas Eve that they were going to be going with someone else else for scary movie three we probably could have sued or whatever but part of us was like all you can do is allow us to create something new i could write a book on the whole thing honestly they still owe us money lots of money what they did was really really bad business and you know that's kind of it <laughs> there isn't much else i mean i could recount the plot i do have all the films that it parodied obviously the ones that i talked about earlier i know you did last summer in scream but also Scream 2, Brenda's death is a parody of how Jada died in the theater scene. Cindy's chase scene also references Buffy's character, C.C. Cooper, throwing a bicycle down the stairs. The Sixth Sense, when Shorty references I See Dead People. Blair Witch Project, when Sherry O'Terry as Gail Hailstorm references the famous I'm So Scared. There's a shining moment. The Matrix fight scenes are parodied. And the ending of Usual Suspects is parodied because Dave Sheridan demanded to play both parts of Doofy and the killer. So they added a dash of usual suspects. Way to go, Sheridan. <laughs> but I mean, I wish I had, I, I feel like this is so lackluster, but this is, <clears throat> this is all that I have on Scary Movie. I mean, not another teen movie. I really only have drawn out my notes because of the number of t things I talk about for the parodies. And like, I don't want to even go into all the plot because it's basically plot A is she's all that. Plot B is varsity blue slash can't hardly wait with a sprinkling of 16 candles. And and then it gets, you know, it goes from there. But like, yeah, I mean, there's a point in which you, you'll talk about the parodies, but then it, it, yeah, it just keeps going and going. Like literally every scene is a reference to something. Not Another Teen Movie was directed by Joel Gallen, who's best known for directing and producing a gajillion TV comedy and concert specials. Seriously, this is one film directing credit. That's it. Like he, after that, was an EP to tie it nicely to last week's episode for almost every MTV Movie Awards show from 1992 to 2004, and then the 1989 to 1993 VMAs. To continue the old millennial connections, his most recent directing credits before Not Another Teen Movie were America, a tribute to heroes because every episode. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
this season has a 9-11 connection. And the 2001 Victoria's Secret fashion show, which featured Tyra Banks. Finally, he was an executive producer a couple years later on the Nick and Jessica Variety Hour, which we know as probably the time around when Nick and Jessica split. Based on the number of episodes we've talked about them, this script, much like Scary Movie, was written by too many people, probably because of the Writers Guild of America laws. Um, it was written by Mike Bender, who's best known for being a writer on a bunch of MTV Movie Awards, um, the ones that Joel Gallen directed. No other screenwriting credits. Adam J. Epstein, similar thing, uh, but he would go on to co-direct Extreme Movies starring Michael Sarah, which is a teen sex comedy I had never heard of until today. What? Um, yes, I know. I was shocked. And then it's like there's a there's like a, a a character in it like that's I didn't even bother looking into it more, but it looks like it stars Michael Sarah and then the guy from Suits who's married to the pretty little liar provides the voice <laughs> I for know something. exactly who you're talking about and I do not know their name oh god yeah exactly. I just know Suits Suits and Pretty Little Liar and then he, that movie was co-written by Andrew Jacobson or co-directed by Andrew Jacobson who also co-wrote the script um, there are the two connections to the Waynes Brothers in that Phil Bowman was a writer and producer on uh, the Waynes Brothers show Cousin Skeeter and Mind of Mencia and then Buddy Johnson, who also co-wrote Scary Movie with the Waynes Brothers, he co-writes the script and was he was also a writer on the Waynes Brothers shows, as well as a writer-producer on My Wife and Kids and several BET Awards. The movie is set at John Hughes High School, obviously a reference to the 80s teen movie director, and all the locations in the school have names that reference the actors or various people in John Hughes movies, such as the Anthony Michael Dining Hall or the Harry Dean Stadium, which is named after Harry Dean Stanton. Like I said earlier, the movie's A-plot is meant to serve as a direct parody of She's All That, sprinkled with elements of several other teen movies from the 80s and 90s. In fact, the original title of the film, much like the scary movie original title, was 10 Things I Hate About Clueless Road Trips Where I Can't Hardly Wait to Be Kissed. The story... Jesus Christ. Yes. A <laughs> Talk mouthful. about not... <laughs> I mean, that's almost a complete sentence, but it's like garbled. Wow, that is... Yeah, not you could have stopped marquee. at like four... <laughs> I know. No, not no. But then also the abbreviation. What is the the abbreviation would spell its own word? It would be. It wouldn't be like a real word. But yeah, it would be just this terrible thing. A fucking mess. A fucking mess. The story is centered around a few main characters that serve as the teen movie archetypes. So Jake Weiler, played by a very young Chris Evans, is the sensitive jock, supposed to be a cross between Freddie Princess Jr.'s character and She's All That and James Vanderbeek's character in Varsity Blues. He's just been dumped by Priscilla, the bitchy head cheerleader, who's played by Jamie Presley, who's a cross between Jodie Lynn O'Keefe's character in She's All That and Kirsten Dunst in Bring It On. She dumps him for a sensitive artist type played by Riley Smith, who's a parody of the Wes Bentley character in American Beauty and whose definition of art is filming plastic bags. Jake's friend Austin, who's the blonde asshole played by Aaron Christian Olsen, is a cross between Paul Walker's character in She's All That and James Spader in Pretty in Pink. Makes a bet, much like in She's All That, that Jake can't turn Janie Briggs, who play, who's played by Kyler Lee, who is a self-described, quote, unique rebel who eats tofu, reads Sylvia Plath, and listens to Bikini Kill. He's bet that she, he cannot turn this girl into a prom queen because she has glasses and a ponytail and gasp, plates splattered all over her overalls. She's a cross between Rachel Glee Cook and She's All That, Julia Stiles and 10 Things I Hate About You, and Molly Ringwald and Pretty in Pink. 
there are a whole other cast of supporting characters. So you have the really sexual sister who's supposed to be the Sarah Michelle Geller character in Cruel Intentions. And then you have the ducky character from Pretty in Pink. You have the horny little brother who's a cross between uh, Kieran Culkin and She's All That. And then at one point references Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club during a detention scene. There's also a bunch of other like characters like Sam Levine from Freaks and Geeks. You might remember as one of the, the geeks. He's the wannabe archetype in this movie um, and is kind of a parody of Ralph Macchio and Karate Kid while also being like Seth Green and Can't Hardly Wait. But then he's also pretending to be Asian. So he's kind of doing the long duck dong character from 16 Candles. It just gets very too many references in one character. That's very, very yikes. Very yikes. Very would not be made in 2020. And how did this get made in 2001? These guys all pine for Amanda Becker, who's supposed to be the Jennifer Love Hewitt character from Can't Hardly Wait, who's actually played by Lacey Chabert, who was her co-star on Party Five and is also the queen of our Hallmark movie Loving Hearts. Like I said earlier, the B plots are Varsity Blues and Can't Hardly Wait, but obviously references a ton of movies. There are a couple of fun cameos in this. If you've ever seen Varsity Blues, you remember that there's the guy, Billy Bob, who is, and this is, I'm copying this from the plot, so I'm not saying that this guy is a stupid fat guy, but like that is what his character is called in this. And they literally got the actor, Ron Lester, to play the parody version of his character from Varsity Blues in this movie. There's also the token black guy character who's played by Dion Richman, who's meant to parody Dulé Hill and She's All That. Um, and then you also have the slow clap guy who's played by the Kyle Cease, who is Bogie Lowenstein in 10 Things I Hate About You. Melissa Joan Hart shows up. Sean Patrick Thomas, who we've talked about a lot, Cruel Intention, Save the Last Dance. He's the other token black guy at a party who shows up. And apparently there's a quota for only one token black guy at the party. And then Joanna Garcia Swisher, who we've also talked about, plays like a 50s inspired Sandra D like cheerleader who has Tourette's and randomly starts cussing mid-cheer. And then there are also a bunch of 80s actors who show up, like Paul Gleason replies his role as the principal from The Breakfast Club. Mr. T plays a janitor. And then Molly Ringwald plays a flight attendant who was brought in to reshoot the ending because apparently they weren't happy with the ending. But I couldn't find it anywhere, like what the original ending was. The only other person I want to point out, because I just like said a mouthful of people and archetypes and whatnot. This is like his before his fame. He was famous role besides Chris Evan. It's also a pre How I Met Your Mother. Josh Radner serves as the tour guide of the high school and will show up throughout various scenes to be like, oh, we don't talk at this moment when the Jennifer Love Hewitt character shows up mid-party and everyone just freezes. It's chaotic, to say the least, but all of these parodies are. I'm not going to go into any more of the plot because, like I said, it's a direct copy of She's All That. So there's the party scene and the bet and the ex-girlfriend spills her drink on the hot nerdy girl and the reveal that it was a bet all along and there's the prom scene and in this case good charlotte is the prompt band and then there's the makeup scene and that's pretty much all i have on plot and casting a few things i found for behind the scenes uh apparently kyler lee the actress who plays janie briggs who People probably best know her for being on uh, Grey's Anatomy for several seasons. She, unfortunately, was dealing with a drug addiction at the time and was 
has admitted that she was under the influence of coke pretty much the entire majority of this filming. Um, and she and her husband eventually would sober up together like a year or two later and get married. So it sounds like that, you know, they've since been sober, which is good. But get, based on the chaotic energy in this movie, I am not surprised someone was on drugs the whole time. In Spain, the movie was released under the title, This Is Not Another Dumb American Movie. <laughs> Which I love. (laughs) Rude. Because because it reminds me, though, of like, I don't know about you, but my French cousins who apparently had American themed parties when they in college when they imported red solo cups from America and would play beer pong. Like they loved these college movies or high school movies where like everyone's drinking out of red solo cups. So they would have American themed parties. Did your French cousins ever tell you anything about this? They never had American-themed parties, but they did tell me about it. And it's also not super surprising because a lot of the stuff that they would ask me to bring was always, like, the American version of, like, an Eminem CD or, like, the American DVD of some teen movie or something that they didn't want, like, the edited for France or dubbed over version. They, like, wanted to watch it, like, in English or wanted, like, the straight-up American version of it. So that's not totally surprising. And I have seen pictures of their American parties and they're very funny. I mean, there's some of it that's a little like I've seen it go the other way and get kind of racist. But um, for the most part, it's funny. I mean, to go ape shit over some red solo cops is really, truly uh, very pure. It's so charming. (laughs) The other interesting thing about casting and behind the scenes is so the girl who plays, there's the foreign exchange student um, who's supposed to be a rip off of Shannon Elizabeth's character in American Pie. And in this case, they have her naked the entire movie. So the actress who played her, his name yeah. is, yeah, not not great, Bob. Serena Vincent is the name of the actress. She, prior to this, her big role had been playing the Yellow Ranger on the Power Rangers. <laughs> so she went from like children's nice. programming to this. <laughs> she was hesitant to take the part naturally because she is naked the entire time. But she, quote, fell in love with the script and decided to take it after getting the okay from her mom to be in this movie. What? Mom? Yes. I mean, I guess she was an adult, a consenting adult at this point, but she wanted to like run it by her mom. I don't know. Well, either way, I mean, clearly she wanted to make the jump from child stuff to adult stuff and thought this was going to be the way, but I don't really know if that's a good step if you want to be if you want to break into more adult contemporary roles or like even like older teen instead of like straight up kid stuff. But I don't know. I don't know. The final thing I have behind the scenes really is that there's an additional 10 minutes that was cut from the film and is only available. Oh, no. (laughs) What a shame. (laughs) 10 (laughs) whole minutes that I'll never get to see. It's only available on out-of-print DVDs and Blu-rays. So if you're out there on the secondary eBay market <laughs> hawking <laughs> out-of-print copies of Not Another Teen Movie and um, there's a market for that, I guess, great. But <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, Release the footage, you <laughs> cowards. Release the extra 10 minutes. <laughs> The final parody worth mentioning in this is, of course, there's a scene where Chris Evans's character parodies Allie Larder and Varsity Blues with whipped cream. Again, (laughs) 
Don't know. Arguably the only scene that matters from that movie. Really the only one that matters. Everything else, like I didn't I didn't even go into more of the cruel intentions parodies or the fact that there's an old lady who plays the Drew Barrymore character from Never Been Kissed and is pretending to be a high school like I just there's no more to go into. I mean, literally every single scene in this movie references at least three teen movies at once. In terms of how much this movie made, I was very surprised. Uh, on a $15 million, $15 million budget, it ended up grossing $66 million. But as you can imagine, had terrible reviews and currently holds a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I am surprised is not lower. But interestingly, that is the case. I think what's funny about this movie is that it's the first feature film debut of Chris Evans, a.k.a. Captain America. Um, who before this had been on a few TV, short-lived TV shows here and there, but his big credit to this day prior to that was being one of the guys on the mystery date board game. Like, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but someone like broke out their 1998. You remember that board game where you would call the phone and it's like, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So Chris Evans was one of the models, on one of the guys like, his, oh, he, he I didn't played. realize that. Or I hadn't seen that tweet or whatever. I miss, I was not present on that day on Twitter. He was the model for Tyler in the board game mystery date. <laughs> oh no, that's so funny. And the well, special yeah, edition. I know him from not another teen movie. And I think the only meme I've seen of him is always the one of him with like the whipped cream on his junk from not another teen movie. But I had no idea he was a board game model, I yes. guess. But yeah, that was not another teen movie was his first big movie. And this is very much a case of they were trying to market Chris Evans, I think, as one of those like teen comedy hot guys. And he had a rough couple of first years, you know, career wise, like he did this movie, which did fine, but like, it's very one dimensional. And then he did that perfect score movie for MTV, which is like the first of many movies he's in with ScarJo. And uh, that movie was not great either, if I recall correctly. And then He did Fantastic Four, which just never ends up going well. Chris Evans, I'm very surprised he really pivoted well. I feel like much like Ryan Reynolds, I feel like the two of them were kind of slated to be a certain type of character or a role, but ultimately were able to pivot their careers fairly successfully in both cases. All I say, you know, to bring it back to our Chris rankings, I believe he's number two on your Chris rankings. He's number one on my Chris rankings. Um, Pine, Pine is your number one, right, on the Chris rankings? Yes. I still love Pine, but I do adore, as I've talked about many episodes, Chris Evans' chunky knit energy, which has now come up maybe three times this season. And there's nothing wrong with Hemsworth, but of course, <laughs> Chris Pratt. <laughs> who's continuing to get so much shit on Twitter right now, we can just dump him off this list and replace him with Chris Rock or Christine Baranski, as many people on Twitter have suggested. I wouldn't hate it. Anyway. Uh, I usually go with a Chris, I go with a Chris Messina as my number four. Oh, you know what? Yeah, scratch that. You're right. I will go with Messina, who also has a very interesting first movie credit. Like, he shows up and you've got mail as the guy working at the bookstore who doesn't know. Yeah. Which I'd forgotten about until I rewatched it the other day and I was like, oh, that's Chris Messina. (laughs) There are a lot of little... I mean, I think a lot of people also forget that Dave Chappelle is Tom Hanks's best friend slash business 
partner associate equal yes and then uh, sarah ramos who's also on gray's anatomy uh she is the cashier at zabar's in the scene where um, oh my god yes that's like her one of her first acting roles as well there's a lot of a lot of before they were big like Chappelle at that point maybe was moderately known in the stand-up world but you know obviously was not you know the dave Chappelle that we know today but yeah there are a lot of interesting ones like that i feel like the nora efron comedies get a lot of actors like that before they're big it's always funny when you rewatch those movies like um this isn't Nora Ephron but on my best friend's wedding there's a scene where Julia Roberts is smoking with a hotel bellboy and the bellboy's Paul Giamatti and this is like pre I mean I was surprised that it was as late as like 1998 Giamatti's playing this minor role but uh that's always fun when you rewatch that movie and it's She's smoking with Paul Giamatti on the hotel uh, floor, hallway, or something like that. Anyway, always interesting to rewatch those movies and see those weird little minor roles. But that's all I really have to say about Not Another Teen Movie. I mean, it's just... I feel like, you know, we don't (laughs) hate these movies. We clearly wanted to cover them. Yes. But I feel like there just isn't, I thought there was, I definitely was a little bit disappointed. I thought there'd be like this long story background, but no, it's just sort of, it's pretty much as it presents itself, which is totally fine. There wasn't like enough for me to really kind of flesh it out as much as I had hoped, but because I, I or else you just get into the weeds of all of the references and I just wasn't sure if a list of references and in each scene was going to be necessarily that compelling. I mean, I just spoke about half of the ones I wrote down because I was like, yeah, this isn't going to be very compelling after a while. Like it's just it's great, but it's yeah, just not if you want to remember these, go rewatch the movie. In both cases, they're both on Netflix right now. What do you think? Uh, a genre that could get spoofed today? I think the Hallmark movie genre hasn't gotten the spoof it deserves. Like, it's gotten, I feel like... That's a really good point. Right? Like, there just needs to be, like, I'd call it, like, Christian Girl Autumn or something like that. (laughs) Twitter calls Christian Girl Autumn, where it's, like, the girls with all the white sweaters and all that. Anyway, um, I think there's a lot of potential for a parody But I feel like even that, the problem with the Hallmark movie titles especially the holiday ones are they are they are already sort of a parody in and of themselves the titles are so you would have to name it maybe something like christian girl autumn or like christian's girl autumn falls in love or some shit like that and the (laughs) in is like two ends like an n um i don't know we we gotta like do something with that but yes that's a really good point that they are not beyond parody they're pretty much waiting to be spoofed so Maybe there is a spoof out there or in the works, but I think there are enough. I can't think of another. Yeah. I mean, no, I was just going to say that I think that there are enough of them out there that you wouldn't even need to do too much like shot by shot reference Mm -hmm. of exact movies. Like you can do a pretty good job at a composite of all of them into a plot that would make a great parody movie. There was that really funny parody that. Kristen Wiig and I think it was Will Ferrell did for oh, like IFC Lifetime and Mother like, the uh, Mother May I Sleep with Danger parody was it that one not no not that one it was a different one that was like based on some books but they like decided to take these books that were sort of I guess were intention like written with the intention to have like some dramatic flair but then you know elevated to like soap opera kind of level <laughs> and so 
I remember watching that was like a four part miniseries or something. And that was like a pretty good parody. So I think things need to be more spoofed in the line of elevating it to soap opera territory. Cause I feel like that's, that's the ticket is it's gotta be some sort of drama. Cause unfortunately something with like the horror stuff, I mean, what makes horror work, I guess, is that it's scary, you know, when you like make it into like a spoof, then we get into these more tropey weeds that don't necessarily sustain themselves. And same with uh, the teen movie stuff. It just I think they can still be made. I just don't know if these genres can keep being spoofed, maybe because they've also been kind of done to death at this point. But when Scary Movie came out, I mean, it was like huge for Keenan Ivory Waynes because he was the first African-American director to have such a successful R-rated movie. And I, it was like a big deal for him and kind of opened all the doors and they were able to keep the sort of like spoof franchise going. But after that, it was just a lot of other people like epic movie that were like trying to be like this. And I feel like that's when you kind of get sick of the genre too. So well, and I just it was think the right time, right place. Perfect. In a lot of yeah. ways. Perfect time, perfect place. And I feel like people saw those parodies and were like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I flip the switch when I make my version of this movie. Like now, I, you know, I think that there are horror directors in the last five, 10 years who have just done so much with the genre that I wouldn't even parody it because I'm like, no, this is just like too well done to, to parody itself. Like Get Out with like Jordan Peele or um, what happened with like Midsommar. I mean, I guess you could parody Midsommar, but like it's just they're so well done in some ways. It's It's like they took the tropes that were made fun of in those movies and said, we're going to, you know, flip the switch or do something different about them. Like they're that well done at this point. Same with teen movies. I think that there are a couple of still like one dimensional ones and fluffy ones that make great plain movies. But I think that there are enough now that have come out that are, you know, quite smart and really, really well done. Would agree. Yeah. Maybe because it's a little bit more, those genres have elevated quite a bit. So we need to go search for some unmined spoof territory. And Hallmark definitely lends itself to that very well. And also, I mean, I guess you could do, I mean, they ended up doing those like terrible paranormal activity spoofs, but you could also do like a reality spoof as well. I think there's Mm -hmm. enough trope and there's enough stuff going on there. And you could just like pick a genre too. I was going to say maybe even doing action movies but some of like the cheaper ones like Money Plane and G- well, Geostorm wasn't cheap, but, you know, stuff like that is sort of already like a parody just by way of how it's made. So I don't really know if that's parodyable. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think that's that's pretty much it for for this week. I at this point. I think we've covered everything we can, but if you liked what you heard today, you should definitely check us out on whatever podcast medium you like to listen to your podcasts on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. We'll eventually be on Amazon Audible when that rolls out because uh, I tried Googling that today and apparently we are not on there yet. But with all of those, um, some of them have places where you can write reviews, you can rate and you can subscribe to us. So if you feel so inclined, please like us, rate us, subscribe to us, write us a review. We love to hear from you all. Sometimes we like to write funny things and we have so many notes in our notes that don't get to be said during episodes that we decide to make some really great blog posts. Um, So you should check us out on Medium because we have a Medium page and it is at Old Millennials Pod. 
Additionally, we are on Instagram and we are on Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. So you can check us out there. We're always posting funny things. Additionally, if you like us as individuals, we are on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Marg She Wrote. And before we say goodbye, we say, God damn it, you need to register to vote. If you are in a state where voter registration is still available, register, vote early, vote by mail, figure out what's going on in your statewide elections. Just vote, please. Emily, you just voted, right? I dropped my mail-in ballot. I dropped my mail-in ballot at a designated ballot box that I triple-checked on a bunch of different websites that was legit and dropped it in there. And then I got a handy-dandy email from Ballot Tracks that told me that they received it, and it's going to be counted. So please, please, please Please. vote early if you can. A lot of people are doing it, especially if you don't have a mail-in ballot in your state. We definitely encourage you to just go out and vote. Go out and vote. You know, my dad waited in line in Virginia for I don't know how long, but he got to vote in person early, wore a mask. Just don't be an asshole and vote. That's all we got to say. Um, and until next time, we say bye. 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.